I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Gersh, welcome to What's the Point? Noah is a dear friend of mine now. However, he is actually the older brother of one of my best friends, Emma Gersh, Mm -hmm. and son of actually two very incredible people that I've been lucky enough to get to know, uh, Maria and Gary. Since he was 10, he was playing in bands, artist, musician, your father was also in the music industry, so did, was, yeah. Apple did not fall far from the tree. And at 20, he realized his first dream of being on a tour bus and yeah. joined Portugal the Man, which you had great success. You were at Coachella, you were touring the world. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, it didn't start in a tour bus, to be fair. Okay. It started on sleeping on the you know, on floors and, <laughs> like and all the, the base start. of the van. Yeah. Like yeah. All, right, which we, we need to get into. Yeah dealing with that. It's probably not easy. And five years later, he toured with the band Party Baby, (laughs) which is an amazing name. Three years later, he realized why he left Portugal the Man in the first place, which we are also going to get into, and actually started a audio media company called Salt, which is a podcast production company, amongst other things. Yeah, primarily podcast stuff. Primarily we're, podcast we're branching stuff. Branching out. And he works with people in the likes of Dave Chappelle and Mo Ammer. Nailed it. Thank you. Got it right. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the podcast. And honestly, you are so well spoken and so vulnerable. After our one <laughs> drinks together, I was like, you need to come on our podcast. So I'm just going to hand the mic over to you. And Lots of feelings. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. I, I'm very, I'm very happy and, and uh, honored to be here with you guys. So the first question we ask on every podcast Mm -hmm. is, what is your definition of fulfillment and what is your definition of success? And are they at all intertwined? You know, it's an incredible device you guys have built into the beginning of this thing. Because (laughs) I, you know, as I've been been listening, um, I'm well-versed in doing this on the other side of the fence, you know, not necessarily sitting in front of the microphones or at least for a couple of years 
but I've heard everyone on your podcast be like, I've been thinking about this. I've been so stressed out about this. Oh my God, this fucking question is so... Um, so I joined those ranks. I've been also thinking about it. And frankly, they were tied together for a very long time. And it was one of the most important things I learned in my life was figuring out how to disentangle those two notions of success and fulfillment. Um, which also isn't a new concept here amongst the people that you guys interview. I've heard people say it quite often. But for me, I really, really want to place fulfillment as a thing in my life now that's obviously not tied to checking boxes, being on a tour bus, doing hitting goals, any of that stuff. And for me, it's really about actually making it um, an unachievable one, right? I think that it's a better, it's better practice for me to think that it's that, it's a practice of trying to work towards learning day to day what fills you, being malleable to, to the things that pop up inside of you and how you can change. Because when you're going at it, like when it's goal-based oriented, you end up being so static in the end goal and you end up blowing past the more subtle signals that we have inside of ourselves about like, well, what is it today? And I think that as I get older, for me, tuning into the day-to-day signals about what would fulfill me on any given basis, whether it's going for a walk and looking at trees all day or doing an insanely hard deep dive into work, that's where I'm at. That's what I want to do. So the definition of it for me is actually being in a place where I'm quite forgetful of it and just focused on trying to understand how to deal with my day-to-day and deal with my community and deal with the people that I love around me in a graceful way and to make sure that I'm doing my part to help the world around me. That's like true fulfillment for me. That's really beautiful. So it's like all about being in the present moment, really. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, the the world around us is designed, in my opinion, to keep us in a more goal-oriented right. position, right? It's like a, we're incentivized everywhere around us to charge towards goals. That's partly a Los Angeles thing, or it's a magnified in Los Angeles. But, you know, there's there's a lot of the world that's constructed to, you know, like I said before, like the signals that are internal that are, are more soft inside of us that I think are actually really important to listen to are, are that they're soft and they're subtle and the world's really loud. Right. And it's like, I think I often think about it like, uh, like, you know, how you like manually tune a radio dial. Right. And it's like, you're like dealing with all this fucking noise. You can hear it, but you can start to hear the signal that you're trying to get to. And then you like, then you're doing it like a lot more manually and then you like get it right there. Now it's fully coming through. It's a very fine-tuned effort. And like for doing it in broad strokes, it all just sounds like noise. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting you say that because I, I think it's like much bigger than a Los Angeles thing. I think it's society's conditioning us. You know, we always have these like, what is your five-year goal or 10-year goal? And like, what is your plan? Like there's, whether you're working at a company or whether you're working on your personal life, everyone always tells you to write down your goals, right? But I also, and I think Jasmine is similar, like we don't work like that. We work more towards 
the feeling that we want to have. So sure. if I want to feel present, if I want to feel fulfilled, what can I do day to day to get me to that feeling versus I need to make X, Y, Z by next year or blah, blah, blah. And then right. if you don't hit that, it's like, oh my God, like I'm a failure. Right. But again, like like I said earlier, to me, the, the funny like conundrum of it all is that like, I prefer to place it like a, you know, like the carrot on a stick. Like if I can tell myself I'm never going to get it, fulfillment in and of itself is not an achievable not goal. Attainable. It's like, it's an effort and a practice. Then like, then it you can start to dismantle that. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you can dismantle some of that incentivization towards it. It becomes um, also like less scary because you exactly like think right. of the word and you're like, oh my God, how do I be fulfilled? And so by saying that it's not actually attainable and there is just like kind of like a, a direction, you yeah. know, then it actually takes a lot of the pressure off and you 100%. can be more fulfilled. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to try I mean, that. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you how it's going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, I'm certainly pretty happy these days. But any way you look at it, right, it's hard. Like there's so much stuff you have to dismantle. Like you said, like in our society, quote unquote, there's goal-oriented stuff. And then you can go as macro as you want and think about what everyone in the whole world, every human alive, for the most part, you know, we have, a, at least today, in, in today's society, this hasn't necessarily been the case since the beginning of time, but like, we're afraid of dying, you know? And like, I'm not sure there's a more universal thing you can say other than I want to be loved between those two things that like everyone shares. And so much of like when I look around, so much of my job as I see it is about like looking around and just trying to pay attention. It's paying attention to people, figure out how to, what their voice is and how to amplify it and produce it in the world, or just at culture and society at large to figure out how to affect it. You know, those two things are, are huge. And all these structures to me, when I look around, start to look like things that are meant to be distractions from those really elemental, you know, subtle, soft signals inside of you. But for me, like saying them, when you start to like, when I started to kind of start to think about these things in that way, like the first time I said, like, I want to be loved, when I said it out loud, I started bawling. It's like so fundamental and elemental to like what what we are and it felt like this like weird and it's like it's like kind of corny right it's like of course everyone wants to be loved but when you allow it not to be it's really heavy you know and you realize how tangled that gets in our world whether it was like i thought love was conditional i thought i could only be loved if i was in a successful band i thought i could only be loved if i was like really cool and mm -hmm. saying with the right people like all that if i smoke cigarettes <laughs> all that you know what i mean it's like you got it. It's all noise. You get all out of the way. So, so how? When did you get to this place now, where you started <laughs> questioning these questions or speaking out loud, like "I want to be loved" or "What does fulfillment mean?" Because I know you had a very successful career in the music industry and kind of like left it to mm -hmm. like do something else because it was no longer serving you. So, how did you get to the point of being like, "No, there's something more to life than just like being on tour and being in the." in the scene and yeah. all that. Um, well, I have great parents. It's worth stating. They're fantastic people. So a lot of this stuff, you know, everyone gets the hand of cards they're dealt in life. I, I happen to have a leg up in that department. They, they put a lot of this stuff into me when I was younger. But I had to really start examining it when, 
you know, we were saying earlier, I was out on tour. I was 20 years old. And it's funny you mentioned the tour bus thing. It's like, it makes me cringe every time I hear it <laughs> because, but it's true, you know, and I'm not going to hide from it. Like it was, uh, it was the thing I would dream about when I was younger. But, you know, there was a real weird conundrum to achieving that stuff when I was really young. I didn't know what I didn't know in the world. I was like really freshly, like tremendously heartbroken too. Like I, it was the end of like a, a seven-year relationship that I thought was going to be, you know, it's what the the totality of my life looked like out in the future and then my my ambitions as it related to work. And so that thing had crumbled and I was out 20 years old in the world, like having quite recently achieved all that I had ever really wanted to do. And then it was just a couple of years of either having to set new goals, right? Because that was like, okay, well, then now I need to go, I need to do that in Europe. And now I need to go do, you know, I need to go do it in Japan. You know, it was like all these things that I was like moving this goalpost, which we're talking about here as being like a fundamental fallacy. Like it's just, it does not work. And so I was blasting through all these check marks in my life and I wasn't happy. And, and and don't get me wrong, like I was having the time of my life. I don't ever want to like lament that part or or throw unnecessary, you know, dirt on it. Like I lived a really incredible experience and was so happy to do it. And, you know, at times when I was present in it, which I wish I had been more, I was in awe of what was happening daily. I was it was crazy. But at large, I wasn't happy. And so when you take that leap, when it's when that fine when that conundrum was finally at the doorstep, I couldn't push it out anymore. I couldn't drink it away. I couldn't smoke it away. I couldn't do any of that stuff. It was like, okay, well, whew, it felt like jumping out of an airplane, you know, and everyone like anyone that I would talk to, I mean, again, I have like great mentorship in my life and, and great, incredible friends and family. But the prevailing sentiment is like, you don't get to do this twice. You know, you like kind of already won the lottery. It's like, it's, it's an incredibly charmed experience. And at that point, I wasn't sure that I didn't want to make music anymore. I was just certain that like whatever was happening wasn't going to be it forever. And I jumped, you know, and, and I didn't know where I was going. I felt quite lost, you know. So when you talk about presence and like when when I really started to lock in to that stuff it was the really long walk back from that place to where I am now and learning that all of those same goal setting techniques or things that I thought were going to be the new fulfillment or the new any of that stuff just like it was a continual reminder it's like to me, like life is like, like it's a series of lessons, right? And you're just going to like spin around in a circle until you like get it and then you transcend up and there's a new one. And up there, you might be reminded of the same one that was down there that you thought you had sorted out, but then here it comes, devil in a new dress and like you don't, you don't have it. So it was that. It was just being fed up with learning the same lesson over and over and just go like, well, shit, what is like, what is it really? And then it just becomes about trying to strip Every, that's a really like deep inward journey, right? Like getting all the noise out of the way. That's why the tour bus thing makes me cringe because it's like I have, it's funny we were watching, uh, my fiance and I were watching 
that new show, Daisy Jones and the Six. Yeah. You know, and and Riley Keough, who's in it, it's a long friend of mine and who I love. And Blake, who made all the music, is a, a friend, but more someone I really admire. And a lot of my friends helped make the music. We were watching it. We were, you know, we were having a, a typical... Saturday afternoon, we were just like, let's just lay on the couch and watch something, looking for a new show, whatever, in the in the streaming ocean. And we put it on. And I was so like, I had to turn, I had, we got two episodes into it. And it was like, I have to turn this off. This is like, because I I relate so much too to close to home. Well, yeah, you know, like I think that if I wasn't so open to saying it, I would be forever embarrassed by how special I thought I was in the midst of being the most cliched thing ever, which was like a drunk, lonely, lost musician. You know, it's like, it's it's a tale. It's like, it's everyone's story. There's nothing about mine that, other than it was just me living it and I have my own experience, there's nothing about it that's it's different, so to speak. I just had really good guidance to get through it and a good community and support system to kind of, you know, hold me as I, crashed and tumbled my way towards some answers, you know. Did you feel like as a kid, especially because your dad was in the industry, did you feel like you maybe glorified what that would look like? That's a really good question. Um, For sure, I think is probably the, the most honest answer. I mean, we all can. Honestly, I didn't know how dark or challenging that life could be until we had drinks. <laughs> you know, like I, yeah. it sounds fun. Yeah, it you know, you don't think glorified. about the day to day, something that you brought up that I took note of because we actually got, when we had drinks, we got into this and I thought it was so fascinating. You had said, you're like, you can have fun and not be happy. The two are not related. Oh yeah. And that's so important. And I remember that really resonating with me because I'm I think personally, I'm a master of having fun. Yeah, that doesn't always mean I'm it. happy. Sure, yeah. And course, actually, same. sometimes it can be a very big distraction. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot placed at our feet to make sure that that stays that way. You know, I think that there's a bit of a, a vested interest in in some of the entanglement we all have in the right. world. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that it was so surface level with my pops that it was about like, I wanted to just like put on a rock star suit, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, and go do the stage show. Like there was, there, there's like deep reverence for the art of it of in my course. house. And that's what remains inside of me for sure. But, you know, I think that like one of the most pivotal moments in my growth in the last couple of years was this weird little like thing I got on where I started being really adamant to myself and in conversation with other people about like, dismantling the notion that I was special in any way. And it's embarrassing again to say, I can't believe I'm saying this all on, <laughs> on a microphone, but like, you know, I, I was really invested in that notion that I was special, that I was living like a charmed, not like life at large, but like I, I wanted to view what I was doing as um, extraordinary. And not to say that it wasn't, but for me, it, it's not a helpful tool to live with. You know, it's not a helpful lens to look at yourself through. I'd much prefer to, to look at the commonality that I share with people now, you know, and understand like how we do it together. But that's that Daisy Jones and the Six thing. Like I'm watching it and you just go like, I get it, you know, and I got fed up with it and that, and I'm grateful I did, but I'm simultaneously as it relates to that, like I'm a really empathetic person, but like 
I don't afford a special sense of empathy towards that, right? Like, I think that part of what my experience was, was getting really fed up with how little people had started to expect of me. Even my family, friends, it's like, and it's just a thing that's given to people living that life. You know, you just like, and you're gone and, and, and it's not from a bad place. People like are trying to understand what you're going through, but I understand how those people get there because I lived it, you know, and I was lonely and I was in a different place every day and I had friends, but a lot of my friends were really interested in what I was doing as opposed to who I was, you know, and that's, that's just a lot of noise to. to How do you go from that high of like, you know, having so much fun and like living in that world to breaking through the noise and being like, nope, I don't want that. And coming back to like (laughs) silence and like being off tour and not with those people and back to like. Yeah. On a very practical level, you talk about like tuning in, Mm -hmm. which I love. Yeah. Um, Very good for this podcast and as a podcast producer yourself um, on the nose. But yeah, like how do you on a very practical level tune in, like fine tune to that? Because it's hard to differentiate. I'm also personally at a point where we were talking about this earlier, where sometimes I'm like, is that my insecurity or is there reality to this? Like trying to decipher what is noise versus Mm. what's yours can be difficult. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think for me, it was about kind of checking into the just like the chop wood carry water of life. Like it was just like, I have to get up tomorrow and I'm going to have to get up the next day. And this grand structure of like self that I had built is like now gone. And like, what is it? Right. And and the intricacies of what that was on a day-to-day basis changed, but there was some similarity, like had a lot of conversations with friends. I was like very open about what I was trying to process and go through. Tried a lot of things. Some of them worked. Some of them didn't. You know, I was lucky enough to do some therapy. That was really helpful. At one point, I stopped drinking for a long time, just to like many years into the process, was like wanted to get even more clear headed about where I was headed. But it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where it was like once that that like structure of self was gone on a more day-to-day basis, I could check in on what felt good, you know, and you started to just, we spoke before we started rolling about like saying yes to things, right. And being surprised as opposed to like driving yourself through life and missing all of the opportunities that are there that you maybe can't see if you're so focused, you know, like tunnel vision on a goal or an ambition or something, which I really relate to. Like I'm a really ambitious person, but it became about doing that and being as open as I could to whatever was going on on a daily basis, I started doing like really like practicey things, like making sure that like I looked every person I had a transaction with throughout the day in the eye, whether it was like a parking attendant or person taking my coffee order or a homeless person on the street. Like it was like about like just being present for whatever was happening and not rushing through it transactionally. And all of that stuff just helped, you know, like all of that stuff just kind of started to put me in a place where I could be a little bit more ready to catch the signals that I was looking for, you know? Yeah. I think it though, it must be really hard to go from being in the limelight and the spotlight and like constantly being pedestaled to come out of that and not lead with your ego and lead with your heart and be like, 
I'm going to be present. I'm going to look everyone in the eye. I'm yeah. going to live in the now. Totally. Do you struggle? I still part? do. But. Yeah. I mean, I think about this, like my, I don't have friends in the podcast industry. I have friends who are incredible artists in the world. You know, like that's my community. Those are my people. So I struggle on a day-to-day -day basis with the notion that like, not like I turned corporate because I have a, a pretty fun and creative company, but like, you know, I'm not a successful currently creating artist anymore in the same way that I used to, the way that a lot of my friends are, you know, and that's where I draw all my inspiration from or, or a great amount of it. I have an, like an extraordinary group of friends and people around me that I'm like daily inspired by whose music I love, whose way of being in the world I love. And that thing that I thought that was so special about me is no longer present, right? But what you gain in just sitting with that discomfort is seeing that those people love you without that stuff. For who you are. Yeah. So how, however much I struggle with it on a day-to-day -day basis, the counterweight is seeing, you know, like a, a good example is, is my friend Dijon, who makes, in my opinion, is one of the greatest artists alive as I see it, who made a record that I think will people will listen to in a hundred years from now. And I say that to say, like, he's someone who, when I'm in, in a dark place about not having that, that pedestal to kind of rely on anymore, I think about in those dark spots going like, oh, like, I must not look the same to that person anymore. Or maybe I'm not as valuable as a relationship anymore. And then the counterweight to that is seeing that that's bullshit. It's in my head. He loves me. I'm a good friend. You know, like all that stuff. And seeing that that's really what matters, you know, seeing you're enough. Well, first of all, that's really beautiful. And I think mm. about this all the time. And yeah. I think it's really about knowing your own value, which sure. like everyone struggles with, which is usually at the root of every insecurity and every fear. Mm. It's always the fear of death and the fear of not being enough. Like mm -hmm. Those are the two humans are plagued with that. Yeah. And then society just like confirms those things in weird ways by yeah. creating these distractions. But I want to talk about like, so you mentioned to me previously mm -hmm. and sort of mentioned it today, there's like goal setting and then sort of lack of goal setting. So your lifelong dream was to be this, what you are now saying is cringe on a tour bus and like being a, you know, a rock a star. Musician, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but you are, you relate to the art. That's something you enjoy doing. It's not completely vapid. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because this has definitely also happened in my life. And I'm sure many listeners would feel the same where did you sort of expect this arrival when it happened? And then you got there and you were like, huh, this isn't exactly what I imagined. And how did you deal with that? Because I think that's something that can often happen mm -hmm. where, you know, we've discussed this and I'd love for you to share this today is this idea of like, I remember you saying I made it and then I started to realize it kind of wasn't in alignment with the other goals I had in my life. For example, how am I going to start a family if I'm mm -hmm. on tour? Yeah, totally. And things like that. And I think just sort of this notion of expectations and goal setting which in some sense, we all need a little bit of, right? That's how you keep ambition. But mm -hmm. also, I don't know. No, no, I, I'm, I'm following. No, no, I, yeah. I got you. I think that the first time you see, I talk a lot with, with my creative partner, Jamie, like my life partner, essentially, platonic one, mm -hmm. um, about 
this notion of things that are invisible. And then once you see them, you can't forget them. They're in every room with you. We talk about it sometimes under the context of like uh, the little like monster inside of you that like is kind of like born of sobriety. It's like all that stuff, right? It's like, what do you see that that drives you towards those places of wanting to numb out? Um, and how can you circumvent that, right? But again, this notion that this thing that happened to me when I was 20 years old, like I can't forget it. Problems present themselves in new ways and they can surprise you. So you can like maybe be tricked for a second that it's not happening or that it's a new conundrum. But the fundamental core of it, I can't forget. So like, yeah, I mean, the goal setting mentality of of going through life just had to go away. And I'm not sure that at that time I knew that wanting to be start a family and all of that stuff were were goals of mine. But again, back to like my nurture in life, like I got a lot of this stuff put into me quite early. So to me, as the consciousness about that I wasn't happy in doing Portugal raised, so did the understanding that I wanted to be a better brother. I wanted to be a better friend to the people around me. I wanted to be a better son, grandson. You know, like, shit, I haven't called my mom in two weeks. You know, like all that stuff. And then you look at your phone. This is something I still deal with. You ask anybody who loves me, like, I'm horrible with this thing for different reasons these days. But like, you know, back then I would look down when I would have one of those flashes and go like, shit, I have like four missed calls from my mother. And so those things were hard lessons and and I learned and then they became goals. Then it was like, okay, cool. Like we're going to close this chapter and we're going to go see how much of this, because this isn't making me happy see how much of like investing in this makes me happy. And, and in a lot of ways that worked, you know, like it was, a, it was about getting back to things that were instilled in me quite early on and digging in there. Um, yeah. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in so many things that society influences us to. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we get to a place where you're talking about is like stripping it down and like getting back to the basics. Like those were the core values that you started with. Yeah. And then we just got filled up with so much. So in the end of the day, like the goal is to like come back to yourself versus mm-hmm. to add all of these things or to get success or to have a new title or all yeah. of that. It's actually to strip away all of that and to come back to your true essence. Truly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's funny. Sometimes I really w- wish that even more stripping, I think I've like, there's a baseline that based on the constructed world around me, I can't get behind, certainly in Los Angeles. Like I can't get enough noise out of the room to like, and it's it's funny because like the end goal, even as I'm sitting here talking about it, looks like some weird, like I'm locked in a closet, like the singer from Weezer at Harvard, trying to like not talking to anyone for 10 days, trying to just like figure it out. Like, I'm not like, I'm not that deep with it, but you know. <laughs> I didn't I, know that story, but that's, Oh yeah, he does that regularly. Oh wow, as like yeah. a silent meditation or something. Yeah, yeah, just like a He's like on a retreat. Yeah, yeah, he does. I mean, more power to him. Yeah, pl- like plenty of people do it. Um, it's quite Why extreme. Why Harvard? Ah, oh, I may be making that up. I know that he. I'm, maybe <laughs> I'm, com- I'm conflating two stories. He he certainly left the band at a certain point or took a hiatus to go to Harvard and study. Okay. Maybe I'm conflating okay. those two things. It's like um, you're watching him through a. Yeah, I'm not interested in in locking myself in a room to get back to my sense of self, but... 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I am very interested in making sure that my antenna is tuned to be able to hear the more subtle things that are inside, you know, and figure out. Getting quiet. Yeah, just like figuring out what really matters to me on a daily basis. It's hard, you know, it's hard for me now because... It's hard for everyone. Yeah, but, you know, I springboarded from this place of like real austerity back into like now I have this company and like, you know, there's, it's grown a lot and we have a bunch of employees and like it's really easy for me to just like grind my way through a day and just get through it. And, you know, there's a lot of rewarding work in there. There's a lot of work. I'm like, feel like it sucks. And remembering to do everything we're talking about in that context is like, it's like I said before, it's the devil in a new dress. It's the same conundrum. You're just like, okay, new set of challenges. How do I get back to that thing that I'm trying to remember daily? How do you get through that thing when you're like, driving through Los Angeles and you're stuck in traffic and someone cuts you off and they're, you know, like, how do you just like stay the course? And how do you, what do you do? <laughs> I just try. That's it. You, know, you I try can't, your best every day. Yeah, I can't unsee it. It's become like a real core principle now. And it's like, it's a goal again, carried on a stick. I'm not going to get it. It's very important. Like I'm not. I really not like this. I really want to. Employ it takes this. the the pressure away. Well, and it also gives you. It sounds like it's given you permission to just be present. Like not everything has as best to as be. I can. Yeah, yeah, to not just be like constantly in pursuit. I yeah, think that's what messes us up is this pursuit of fulfillment, pursuit of that, like pursuit of that. But again, there's a balance, right? Because you still do have to get things off your to do list, and yeah, of course, be pragmatic. So and. You know, another one of those signals we haven't really talked about, we've talked about like societal ones, we've talked about the ways that we inherently like kind of dilute them or, or try to like suppress them. And, and I guess we said it at the beginning, but fear is like a huge one, huge. And I actually like really started to tune into a lot of this stuff through my the work and relationship I've got to build with Dave Chappelle, who... It's been one of the more incredible things that's ever happened to me, getting to be really close and and to learn about him and to learn how he'd like to be produced and to learn to be an aide in helping his voice hit the, the world in the right way, because Lord knows it. In some hands, it doesn't. But he told a story to me one day when we were recording about his great-grandfather, who was an orphan 
um, in the South. And I'm not going to pretend to to tell the story as well as him. He's like one of the greatest storytellers alive. And I'm probably going to bungle some of the details. So I'll keep it broad. But the broad strokes are this. Great-grandfather, orphan, moved around many, many different families. Some say he was orphaned because he was born into a mixed-race relationship. He was born in an all-white hospital, and that wasn't possible those times unless there was one part of the equation that, that fit that mold. But anyways, bounced around, had a really traumatic life, and he was blind, right? So he found himself in the hands of a very cruel family at one point. And Dave, he's telling me this story. And, and one of the great things about the way he tells stories is sometimes you don't exactly understand where it's going. And he said, um, he said this family used to lock his blind great-grandfather, who was a child at the time, in the basement. And they would tell him that there were snakes in there. And he would just, it's the cruelest thing in the world, imagine. And he would scream and and he was so terrified. And Dave said it as the kind of closer to the story. He said, in my life, when I was around this person, the end of his life, all he used to tell me was like, there were no snakes. David, like there were no snakes down there, like over and over and over. Like it was like a loop he was stuck in. And it became this parable, the way he was telling it to me about not being afraid right? Like everything around us in some way is constructed, or at least we see reasons to be afraid because they're quite fundamental, but they're reflected all around us. Confirmation of why you should be. And only in saying there's no snakes. I mean, I have this tattooed on my wrist. This is like, this is some real shit in my life, but only in confirming over and over, those aren't snakes. There's no snakes in this room over and over and over and over and over do you start to kind of like try to push that stuff out of the way. And that's like very deep emotional noise in us, whether it's afraid of not being loved, not being enough, not being successful enough. I know I don't have as much money as my friends, whatever the fuck it is. So yeah. So, so did no fear snakes. did fear play like a large role in your life? Because it seems now like that this you even got it tattooed to you. So as a constant reminder that mm. it was very impactful for you to have this now story that you can refer back to to constantly remind yourself that there is no snakes. Yeah, I, I guess more so like I'm really ambitious. I say yes a lot. I follow kind of um, a friend of mine, a guy named Matt Rising, told me recently, uh, God, I hope I'm not messing up the turn of phrase, but but following charm was a notion that he had been really into in his father. But so I, I find myself in in new spaces a lot. And naturally in places like that, you the fear of failure starts to creep in. It was particularly impactful to me when Dave said it because working on that show in general felt like a thing I was very afraid of, you know, for a million different reasons. It was towards the beginning of working on our company. I went out to Yellow Springs, Ohio, where he lives in June of 2020. So the pandemic was raging. We all thought the world was ending. George Floyd had just been murdered. I had a lot of questions about like what my value was in the world and what I wanted to actually do and how I could take the things I was feeling and channel it through my work and be of my best service to the world to try and 
you know, deal with some of the larger stuff that society was dealing with. And then I was a white guy who got invited out to work with incredibly intelligent, successful black artists. And I was scared. I was scared I wasn't going to be able to fulfill the duty, you know, because I, I took the charge so seriously. It was like, well, shit, there's a lot of charm here. I'm going. You know what I mean? Like I was on the plane. I was sitting in the air, in my seat on the plane when he released that special 846 about George Floyd beating word. And I was going there and I was so afraid. I was like, fuck, I'm going to, I'm going to drop the ball here. And I stayed that way through a lot of the production. I mean, the show, if, if you guys haven't heard it, is like a really complicated document of life and struggle and, and all these things. And it's really hard to make. It's really hard to make. It takes a lot from me. It takes a lot from our team. It takes a lot from him. And many times along the way, I was very scared. And there were no snakes. Just day in, day out, like I chopped my way through it, you know, and just like kept saying yes and kept showing up and kept trying and kept like, and then the end result of that ends up being the medicine to the thing. You're like, well, shit, that's a parable. Didn't have to be afraid, you know, and what would those days have been like if I hadn't been? How much time did I miss? What did I miss when I was afraid? You know, who did I look in the eyes when I was afraid feeling that way throughout the course of those days? Yeah, it's, it's also this, it's like fear and it's also this, which ties into fear is imposter syndrome. That's mm-hmm. exactly it. I think most of, most of our listeners, including ourselves, struggle or have struggled with it um, or are currently struggling with it. So natural. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and it's so, it is so natural and it's important to allow ourselves like to be kind to ourselves when we're facing it because so many people, everyone really faces it. Yeah. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Somewhere. That's what all that like I'm not special stuff was based in. It was yeah. like, if I can spend more time trying to remember how common these things are, I can see it in other people. And you can recognize when someone's acting out of pocket, oh, Maybe that's about, are you afraid? Like, oh, I get it. And you can meet them differently and try and diffuse situation and put them at ease so that we can like really get to the heart of the matter. You know, like that's like, that's the rub. If you have compassion, because it's so easy to just see people's behavior for what it is and not dig a little deeper and be like, maybe they're in fear, which is typically why someone acts unlovingly. Sure. Speaking of fear... Were you afraid to leave music? Oh, so much. Right? Because it's like your lifelong dream. You're like on the outside, you know, you have all this commercial success. I can imagine that's really difficult to detach and be like, well, I'm, you know, there's a magic in quitting, Mm -hmm. which we've talked about a few times on this podcast. But can (laughs) you tell us about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I was very afraid. And I, I would say that, I had reason to be, you know, like I got, I got pretty bumped and bruised along the way. And and really like, we've talked about the positive stuff we learned, but like, I like, I took a lot of hits going through it and made a lot of bad decisions and didn't act in ways that I would have wanted to. And not even to mention, you know, like I made that choice to leave Portugal, the man came home, 
got around to kind of building a studio because I was like really connected to my community here again and everyone was musicians. We didn't have a central place to work. So I was like, oh, maybe that's what I'll do. Like I'll like figure out how to build studios, learned on YouTube, like put the space together. And now all my friends were working in one spot and I'm X number of months or maybe a year at this point removed from making this critical decision. And now we have a space to work and now... I'm trying to write pop songs and do this whole like LA grind and which sucks, but I was still making music. And then in a fit of inspiration in one of those nights with my business partner, life partner, Jamie made a song. We're like, oh, that's a really cool song that, but that's for us. I was like, well, what's us? It's like started making more songs. And then it was like the, the story of how party baby got signed is in and of itself, like a, a movie, but like, Flash forward, sign a deal with Warner Brothers, go back out on the road, put the record out, and I'm back in the same spot. Fuck, I didn't remember. How crazy. Quit again, right? You're like, devil in a new dress. Like, I'm back. God damn it. Now I'm back again. But but it's the sum total of our experience, right? It's not, I learned a lot of stuff back then. So I did a little bit better. The crash landing wasn't as intense. I kind of, by the time I did that, it was like a real resolute, like adult decision. It was like, all right enough, right? Like we're going back home. We're going to really figure some other stuff out. And it wasn't long after that, that, you know, salt was born and not that salt was the end goal of, of my life by any means, but stability was, Yeah, I got a, I got a lot of that. You know, I, I certainly became the type of person that I needed to be to meet my fiance. It's love my life. You know, like that stuff started to happen once I like remembered why you know those those decisions but yeah hell yeah i was afraid uh, how did you get into podcasts like how did that what was that it's a, yeah, yeah that's a, that's a great one so after i jamie and i stopped touring as party baby and came back home we were like kind of back in our studio producing some records it's really hard unstable living right i was i was kind of frustrated i was trying to figure that out how like life was just gonna, the nuts and bolts were going to work of living in Los Angeles and having enough money to do whatever. And a friend of ours was starting a, a podcasting company called Q Code, which was like a, their bet was, it was an ex-literary agent from CAA and someone who had worked in television. And they said, you know, audio is a cheaper format to pilot ideas than in video. And they wanted to make scripted fiction stuff and they wanted to take, you know, busted pilots from the CAA floor ostensibly and, and package talent to them and, and make them. And they wanted them to be, to stand out and be better than other stuff. And they hit us up and asked us if we would be interested in writing a theme song for it. And it was like, I remember the day it happened. I wrote it that day, sent it back that day and they were really into it. And then they were like, all right, cool. Like you guys are going to score this show which is great. Like I want to, I want to do scoring stuff in my life. And then they went out trying to find someone to produce it. Couldn't find anyone and came back and they're like, Hey, would you guys be interested in producing it? And I'd never listened to a scripted fiction show in my entire life. Um, I wouldn't say that I was like an avid podcast consumer or listener, which I think actually contributed to, to the success of it. But we just said yes. And we did it. And it was successful. It was a show called Blackout with Rami Malek. The charm of that was that he had won the Oscar for Bohemian Rhapsody like the week before it came out. It was like a perfect storm. 
so we had some success right out of the gate and another job came and we said yes and then another one and then we were at the end of a year and we had like made four successful podcasts and it was like well shit like maybe we should try to see if this is maybe the thing that you know we're looking for as it relates to like kind of creating stability and that was a good bet turned out to be pretty right and now we you know we're what started as kind of predominantly scripted fiction stuff has turned into you know our mission is to be kind of out on the front of what audio storytelling can do and like what it can mean in people's lives and so we've done you know the thing with Dave and Yasin Bey and Talib Kweli which is the midnight miracle is one side of things nonfiction we've made wellness products for Amazon documentary stuff that we're really interested in you know like now I'm back in a spot where we're starting to curate things that I want to see out in the world and that's yeah. really like that's really exciting again it feels a lot similarly to making music yeah because you have a platform yeah for your voice but just in a different way yeah totally and and it's not necessarily my voice it's it's in curating and helping other people yeah. tell their stories and make sure that they they land in the world in the most beautiful way possible or doing my best to at least you seem unafraid of trying new things has yeah. that always been a part of you yes so yeah. you're just sort of you know you know my sister emma yeah our whole thing my whole life has been a i've had a lot of like love relationships and we always would have this rub where she would be nervous for me because she's like, I don't know if this person's right. You're going to get your heart broken. And the conundrum in our relationship is always like, I'm not afraid of getting my heart broken. Like, it's like, I'm afraid of what I don't do in not trying these things a little bit more. You know, like to me, there's no, there's nothing worse than like the dark night of the soul. Like you didn't try something and yeah. like you're up at three in the morning looking at the ceiling going like, damn, that was the wrong decision. So you're unafraid to just jump in and go for it? I'm not afraid of the bruises. That's amazing. You know because I mean? you learn from all the bruises and that shapes the rest of your life. Hell yeah. What have you learned from your romantic relationships? We've focused a lot on your <laughs> career. Uh, you had a few things, truths and fallacies. Especially now that you're settled, you've found the love of your life. Yeah. Oh God, that's a big one. What have I learned <laughs> in my relationships? Communication is a big one. You know, like I, I really, I hold a pretty high premium on that, you know, making sure that you're present with somebody and, and not just like skipping through life together and like really checking in. Yeah, I, I learned my relationships were a really good mirror for the things that we've spoken about and that I was trying to work out, right? So I find that oftentimes before I understood that something was a problem, it would manifest itself in our relationship, it would be reflected back at me, right? This fear I have about not doing something or this tension I have around my identity or myself or all that stuff, like the, the lack of comfort and ease I had with certain things like on this path, that it shows up there first, right? So it brings it, it's like a really good vehicle for like, literally you have a partner, right? Your partner helps you bring stuff out and you help do it for them. You do life together. But yeah, I mean, I you know, I had a lot of relationships in the sense that I was looking for what was going to make me happy. And I was trying, again, another lesson, like I was trying my best to force my way through it, like a science experiment. Like 
what's the right person and like testing and all this stuff. And again, the answer is just in, was in the ease of it all. I met Sophie and she was perfect. And I wasn't thinking about any of those things anymore. It was just like, let's go. Let's yeah. do this. What are you most afraid of now? Not just in relationships and not just in career. You guys. We're, we're <laughs> we getting, go deep. You asked for we're it. We're going deep. <laughs> um, what am I most afraid of now? We could do a part two with drinks. So it's no, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm here. I'm in this chair. I'm going to, I'm going to pull it out. I'm most afraid of missing the mark, right? Of all these things that we're talking about, there's still that notion that maybe I got it wrong. You know, a really good example is like pointed at my phone earlier, but I have a bit of like a, a philosophy that that's maddening to people about, you know, being present. And so that comes off a lot of times as like ignoring a call um, because I'm doing something else. And what other people think as important as it relates to the barrier for you allowing to do that mine's a little bit more loose. Sometimes I'm looking at a plant and I'm enjoying what I'm thinking about and I, what I, you know, and it's like, no, not right now. Right. Or whatever. And there's a lot of tension about that in my life with people who love me and people who I'm friends with and, and whatever. And, and I've been thinking a lot about it. Like, well, what if this thing that I think is, is the right choice is not, you know, what if I, I'm actually kind of fucking up, missing the mark? And it's a possibility. But, you know, I, again, there's no snakes. Like, I, it's going to be all right. No yeah. You know, no whatever. Snakes. I love this. No snakes. Same. I love the no snakes. And my favorite is that fulfillment is not attainable. So as you know from being a listener, we always <laughs> end with what's your point? What's the point? What's your why? You know, I got to tell you before I do, this is a great premise for a show thank you i hope you guys i hope you guys that means a lot especially coming from you no i i hope i hope you guys feel very proud of like this this thing that you've set up it's like it's incredible and i really personally (laughs) have enjoyed this conversation a lot thank you i hope you guys have too yes very much so and you listeners (laughs) um what's the point try that's the point get up do it there's not much more that is certain other than that there's an end to this thing and that you're going to wake up tomorrow and just stay to the best of your ability in the driver's seat of that and try, you know, try to do whatever is important to you. To me, that's about being in service to people I love, being in service to my community, the world at large. My promise is, you know, or at least premise at this point is trying to make things that are beautiful and that impact people's lives the right way. Yeah. Keep trying. Amazing. Love it. Thank you so, so much, much, Noah. Yeah, Thank you, I guys. Learned. Thank you. Thank you. Yo, thank you so much for sending this over. I'm listening to it and realizing we got so deep on the fulfillment bit. We never even, or I never even answered the question about my definition of success. The good news is that it's a lot shorter. Here it is. It's feeling and sensing your effect on the world around you in real time, being able to recognize, not through being told, but through just existing, that you are having a positive impact on your surroundings. 
at success. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.